welcome to Rewilding Work. I'm Paul Miller. Rewilding Work captures stories and examples of how senior leaders and changemakers are transforming the world of work across their organisations. Recently, I was fortunate to be part of a DWG member meeting at Intuit at their headquarters in Mountain View in Silicon Valley, just next door to Google. Intuit owns QuickBooks and MailChimp and was founded in 1993 in Palo Alto by Scott Cook, who still comes into the campus frequently and loves being part of their customer research sessions. The campus is a nature paradise and it's a truly humble company. My guest today is Priya Thumalapali, Director People Experience Solutions, and I've known Priya thankfully for many years. She was before then a Vice President in Digital and HR for Prudential Financial back on the East Coast, and a winner in recent years of the DWG Digital Workplace Leader of the Year Award. She's deep, thoughtful, and makes her bold ideas happen in practice. I reckon she's found her work home at Intuit. Do subscribe to the DWG channel so you get alerted about each new episode. Now for Priya Thumalapalli. So, Priya, in my mind, because you and I know each other quite well, you're one of the more remarkable people in the whole digital workplace, people experience world. And I say that in a shower of compliments on you, just because I think you come to this with a real depth of understanding and a strategic view an experiential view. So I just want to ask you, ex- experimentation is part of the DNA at Intuit. Can you just talk about this example that I've heard about called Follow Me Home, how that works and how, and how it has changed employee experience over where you work at Intuit? So firstly, well, thank you for the shower of uh, appreciation. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I, I want to actually up-level that answer a little bit to really start with Intuit's um, operating values. And one of them, dear to the heart, is really what we call as customer obsession. And in order to support and fulfill this value, one of the core capabilities at Intuit that really differentiate us um, and helps us to really deliver on what we really truly mean by customer obsession is what we call as customer-driven innovation. It's a methodology and a mindset. And in order to get there, it, what it really helps us is to uncover important and really unsolved problems. And so Follow Week Home is one of the programs that have been designed in order to kind of support this uh, customer-driven innovation. So essentially, what is it? It is really what the program literally, how it sounds, that's exactly what it means, is follow me home. And uh, our co-founder, Scott Cook, he's the one who actually brought this uh, into being. And one of the things he used to do is really follow and ask the customer as they were using the product, if they could, he could ask, he would ask them if he could go home, watch them use the product, observe this. And it just started becoming so important for us to continue to do this in order 
to do the research we need to improve the products. So that's where it started. That's the genesis. Mm. And why is it different? Because you, you probably have heard people do a lot of user research today. There's a lot of interviews. Probably do a lot of interviews to understand how, in, how uh, end users are using your product. But there's a, a subtle nuance here, right? So when you start to observe customers in their natural habitat, we are able to glean something that we typically will not get from interviews. What happens is uh, we start to see behavioral, we start to see behavioral information. And when you do an interview, you start to get a lot of, you're listening, you're listening to answers. And so you probably are at the risk of getting a lot of false positives. And so when you take um, information like that by merely listening to someone uh, instead of observing what they do, then you start to see a world of differences between what they say and what they do, right? And so then you start to see the value of this follow me home. It's actually a type of research. And so when you observe behaviors and then you decide that you want to interview the customer after watching them at their natural setting, now you can go deeper. You can poke at the behaviors, right? And so you start to essentially start to garner a lot of behavioral data, which is really important for us to really improve our products, improve our experience. And so we started to build that into um, our employee experience as well. So are you actually following your employees home? I mean, um, I, I think it's amazing that you are following the, the customers home. And I'm presumably, I'm presuming that when... Um, this was happening with your founder. This was before the world of UX and usability and use or user designed. We we had a human computer interface, so he was clearly a real pioneer. But but do you follow you employees home? Here's the thing: my customers are employees, right? And so where are the employees today? A lot of the employees are at the workforce, and so. Think about it this way. When we, here's an example, when we started to go into the hybrid mode and we started to invite um, employees to come twice a week into the office, now we have to create technology that supports hybrid way of working. And which means that you're trying to create cross collaboration between people who are home, working from home, and who are at workplace. So you actually go into these meeting rooms and you start to observe the behavior of like, are, are people even up to the, is the technology complicated for them to really get to a meeting quickly? Because it's, again, you're back to back into meetings. Probably have 30 seconds now to get into Zoom, open up the monitor, share your screen. And so how fast can employees do? Where's the cognitive load here? So you're, you're starting to observe behaviors. And so the advantage for us is you're really uh, able to get into people's workspaces as they're doing the work and engaging with your product. Yeah. And do you have a particular example? It can be quite small, maybe not, of, of something that you've changed in terms of employee experience that's that's come out of this this observation. Yeah, I mean we one of the what we call as the guided experiences, we started to build something where we wanted to observe new hires when they come into the campus and they're setting up and so some of the research we did was around really trying to understand um, what are people doing with all the information? They are inundated with day one information and it's coming across different channels. So what are they really doing with this information? 
And we started to observe that they're either taking notes in a Microsoft product like OneNote or in a Google Drive, or they're printing it and they're sequencing the work on their own to say, and, and th this is a lot of time-taking process. It is, again, right? You're taking the information, now you're trying to sequence this, sequence this, you're piecing the puzzle together. Now you're not sure the way you're sequencing it is going to give you the most impact. And so you're still doing it. And we, we actually had observations where employees were creating this booklet of information through apps. And we're like, that booklet is what we need to be creating as a data and take them step by step. Don't overload on day one. What is the least minimum can we give them for day one to complete so they can be set up for their new role? Yeah. So, so, uh, and I know, uh, and I had the pleasure with some colleagues of being at the Intuit campus recently in Mountain View. Uh, wonderful experience. I really was able to soak up the culture, and I saw that you're opening up a new building in your headquarters. What are the hopes and ambitions of that of that new building? Because I know it's a post-pandemic building. Maybe it started beforehand, but it's being thought of in that environment. Just really interested to see what you're hoping to get, what's going to be new and different there. Yeah, um, I'm excited for that building too. I haven't seen it yet. It hasn't been open yet. But I can definitely say it's a new state-of-the-art building. It's, we realize sort of our campus vision and roadmap here. What it does is it actually embraces uh, the learnings around hybrid, hybrid work, uh, collaboration, and flexibility. So we are, those are the le uh, learnings that we had, again, through Follow Me Homes and through some of the research work we've been doing and the learnings, right? And so this new building, is it's going to enable us to bring teams who have been in different spaces. So it's actually bringing teams together. Um, it's also following the neighborhood concept. Uh, that's something I'll share your conversation too. The idea that teams sit together, it's uh, based on a concept. It's a large floor plan. And it's also designed around uh, developing more agility and creativity and collaboration among teams. And so it's also going to invite people to come in to the workforce even more, come into the buildings. It's designed for you to work the way you collaborate today. It strikes me that if I think of some of the, the these newly fashioned spaces, it's like, why why go to work? Why physically go to work? Um, and, and I think kind of post uh, pre-pandemic, it was hard to kind of come up with a great story. You commute, you get there, you sit at a desk, Maybe you, but these new spaces are really offering something that's that's really quite quite unique. I look at them and feel like that would be fun to be there. It's hard to kind of put them in a box. So, just jumping topic, you've got a talent hub in New York City, and obviously talent is key to an organization like Intuit. Tell me about the talent hub in New York. Yeah, so um, we did open the New York hub. And um, essentially, if you look at it, New York is what the top two in North America when it comes to tech talent. And one of the things is we have access to really incredible, diverse tech talent over there. Um, there's also a lot of uh, upcoming startup companies, tech startup companies. Uh, and I would say there's also a very vibrant VC culture over there, like venture capitalist culture. And so if you look at the whole ecosystem, 
we are really trying to look at the best talent to bring the best talent so we can even raise the bar on how we deliver to our customers. Um, we have around 200 full-time employees today in, in the New York hub. And the looking at the talent, I think it just validates our decision. And so it's really helping us to start building solutions and technologies where we can take it to the next level. No, that's 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 great. And that's really an exciting thing. And one of the things I saw here was that there's a, a retailer called Curry's. They're a high street retailer. They closed down their offices in London. And what they did was they took a, a floor in WeWork, but they branded it all in Curry's and, and in a way kind of injected um, a new kind of atmosphere into coming together, but also something a little bit, I'll say, kind of funkier for the employees to come to a co-working space where there are other people doing things. So so just picking up on this word hub, you've got a, a, a product experience called MyHub, exploring uh, ideas like how to use reminders that influence employee behaviors to take the right action. Um, could you just tell me a little bit about that? And is that in your area of, of sort of remit? Yes, yes. That's something we just launched. Um, yeah, uh, I'll take you back a little bit in time because you've been a thought leader in digital workplace and intranets and employee experiences uh, since a long time. And one of the things we've always seen in our circle is the, how are we really solving the problem of cognitive load when it comes to information um, that we send out to employees? And so companies have time and again, they've been launching intranets and employee experience platforms uh, essentially to try and say, how do we nail um, information overload? We did the same. And we started with, again, we, we used our customer-driven innovation methodologies, which is trying to understand through research and going a little deeper to try to observe what employees are doing today in order to do tasks. And we also looked at a lot of data we look at both quantitative data, like we look at contact center calls, like uh, HR calls that come in. Maybe looking at what are the areas employees are really asking for help today and why are they reaching out for human support? So that means there are some barriers. We really need to get that out of their way. The second part was we started to look, uh, we started to do deep dives into, we would take the data, try, that would be a signal for us. We go and reach out to employees, uh, depending on the circumstances, and we would start to do a lot of research. When we started to put the research together, there were three things that were pretty apparent. Today, because we're looking at so many different channels now enable content. If you can see, it used to be emails, then it became the internet. Now we have collaborative tools, like you have Teams and, like, and Slack, so you're getting the same information so many different ways. And then you have peers who are telling you, giving you information as well. And they're breaking in, probably they are solving it for you. They are breaking it down for you. And so we started to say, how do we harness all of this? Uh, you know, like, for example, if you look at Slack, people are solving problems for each other. How do you harness that information um, and put that in front of the employee where somebody's already solved that for you? So we were, we were looking at the entire ecosystem and we said, there are three main things. One is the content's too genetic. You're sending the same genetic content over and over again. And then we looked at it and we said, uh, how can we provide content that's really meaningful but has an outcome at the end of it, right? 
Um, um, and the third one we started to look at is unifying the content in a place so that people are not looking at five different channels because of which they're actually losing out on the information. They're missing out on important things that could be very beneficial for them. It could be learning. It could be some benefits information, something regarding their financial wellness. And they've lost it because they've missed the deadline. They've lost the opportunity. And they hear that over and over again. So we set out on a path where we said, let's, uh, let's start uh, piloting this. And we took a hypothesis that if we are able to unify content, we're able to personalize content, but also deliver a slightly richer and a more intelligent experience where we can predict things, where we can use not just, um, then we can do two things. One is we have access that access to information. So employees have access to really important information that applies to them individually. Mm. And the second part, which is where we are learning right now, is a lot of where can we as a company, if we want to push behaviors, we want to influence employees to take action that is going to help them to take, uh, to take better actions with positive outcomes, then we have to go into the world of nudges. Mm. And so here, one of the things we started to discover is, um, so nudges, just, just to explain that, they're really subtle interventions. And it helps you like make guide guide choices without restricting sort of your autonomy. And so in typically in the world of uh, when you have kids, you want them to eat healthy, they come back from school, they're really hungry. If you keep fruits at the eye level and take away the uh, bag of potato chips, you're going to reach out for the fruits. You're hoping you're going (laughs) to reach out for fruits, but those are nudges. They're guideposts towards um, healthy behaviors. And so when you put that in the context of a company, we start to see, I mean, manager effectiveness is so important because managers really literally make the experience in the company. And so if you want to create better leaders, more effective managers, on the other hand, you also want people to take time off. You want, you want to prevent burnout. So how can you start predicting these guideposts that are going to help people make important decisions? And so... Without And the key word here is also without imposing or undermining the user autonomy. So it's a choice. It's within a choice architecture they're making these decisions. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose what was just occurring to me was that, and I've been thinking about the quote from your CEO, your current CEO, uh, about AI, which was, he said, electricity, the internet, AI. You know, I this is big. This is big like electricity was big. This is big like the internet is big. This is this is big. So I'm wondering about the role of AI. And then I thought, <clears throat> could um, the system, the hub or whatever, be noticing how somebody's working and see when they're getting to a point where their stress levels, maybe the tonality of their interactions, maybe they're checking on things too late at night, too early in the morning. And it says... <clears throat> You know, uh, I mean, you get these daily kind of, you get weekly digests of how you're doing, but something that almost kind of sort of gently suggests that maybe it's time for you to take a day off. Maybe you should, you you know, not to kind of beat you up for it, but wouldn't it be good if the AI was subtly kind of, I don't want to say watching, but a little bit watching what we're doing? Yeah, I don't take it a step further and say, AI is a, is a technology, right? You can use data 
just data to help influence um, employees. I'll give you um, an example here. One of the nudges um, and geared towards helping employees take time off or time to rejuvenate and not go through burnout is, and you can see in a tech world, it's like you're back to back. One of the things we actually created was this interface where um, we've been hearing from employees and managers to say, hey, I just need to know how much time off I have. And so that became like an insight that we share um, to all employees. They don't have to click into Workday or some other um, HCM tool or, in, or an HR tool to see how much time off they have. But putting it in front of them, they're able to, on an everyday basis, when they open up their, their the product, they're able to see this, right? We took a step further and we said, let's put a nudge to these employees. So if you're, if you're a manager and you have someone in your team who's not been taken time off at all, and it's been six to eight months already, that's an indicator for us. And so if you're able to nudge the manager to say, hey, it seems like X hasn't taken time off the last nine months. Now the manager has data. Right, and that data is what puts you to take action. And when you're having that conversation with your with your employee, the employee knows the manager cares for them. I mean, there's a lot of things that can happen in that interaction. And so the audits are so important. I mean, if you look at it from a framework for user experience, and if you really see how this has the potential to change behaviors, uh, I mean, there's a famous framework called the Fogg's model, and what it says is, in order to change behaviors, there are three elements. There's motivation, there's ability, and there's prompt. So in this context, the motivation is really, we have a motivation in order for us to have positive health outcomes. It could apply to time away, it could apply to somebody not taking preventative um, health care. You have benefits that help you to take an annual health care, preventative health care. If you're not going and you're not enabling the person to go and take it, there are potential consequences for not doing that. And so motivation and then ability is how easy can you really, once you're motivated, how easily can you execute on it? And so uh, we're doing this through reminders and not just where it's action-oriented. And you're removing the barriers to get the job done. And then lastly, prompts are where, you know, the guideposts, where we're saying, hey, we have a new nudge for you. We have a new reminder for you. It's going to be important. If you do this, you get X. And so if you start to see, like, over time, you have the potential to change behaviors here. And that is an area we're just learning a lot. Mm. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. And um, just think about my time at the at, on your campus, Um I mean, you, as I say, you can feel the culture of the organization. We see, we saw people doing a um, food packaging for um, a, a charity that they were working on. Um, there was just a lot of interesting, almost like not necessarily work, work activity. And what was your f- feeling when you arrived in the Intuit campus? So you moved from the East Coast to the West Coast you arrive into Mountain View, maybe the sun's shining, you come out to the campus. What was your, as you had your first week there, what was your, what were the adjectives you used to describe it and how did it feel? Very similar to how you felt when you came here uh, two weeks back uh, when you were sharing with me. I would say there is um, there's intention in building collaboration here. Really? 
And I quickly learned one thing, which was the the bar is very high for leadership here in the sense that when you deliver on experiences, when you deliver on products, when you deliver on anything here, the bar is pretty high. And so what does it really tell you is that you can't do it alone. You got to walk with the team and team of experts with you. It's cross collaborative. It's not just your own team. There's a lot of cross collaboration. And so in order for you to meet the bar, you have to ask for help. You've got to be collaborative by nature. And so when I started to observe those behaviors and those, uh, it really helped me. It's a humbling experience, honestly, because Mm -hmm. realizing that you've got to ask for help to move along. Uh, You're raising the bar for the team and then you're unblocking for them in areas where, which is really impeding their speed to get things done. So there's a lot of, uh, it's a very different culture. And you can also, physically, the environment has been built to really enable collaboration. So the way the cafeteria is built, um, if you can see, this is, there were tall buildings here. And what you start to see is there's nature everywhere. So yeah. I, you see, even right now, when I look uh, outside the window, most of the meetings are a walk and talk. There's a trail, right? You can take the trail. But a lot of these operations um, happen here. A lot of serendipity happens. So it's it's really inculcating this environment fosters a lot of collaborative. Yeah, fan- fantastic. And I know Scott, the co-founder, comes in. Have you met him? I've seen him in a lot of, um, like, he, he's, he's very unassuming. He'll sit right next to us in a lot of the uh, company town halls. That uh, so he's he's amazing. I mean, if you got to hear him in some of the uh, podcasts and video interviews, and he'll bring things down for you in a very simple way. Okay, he stri- uh, uh, There seems to be quite a lot of what well, humility into it. Is he quite a humble person? Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting because I think you know that kind of culture resonates. Priya, it's been wonderful to to chat to you. I think you found your 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 work home um, in Chile, and it's uh, fascinating to see how you what you do develop and and what happens next there. Thanks so much. Thank you, thank you, Paul. Love being here. And now for the studio guests who came into the studio the next day to reflect on my conversation with Priya. Sharon O'Day is the founder of Digital Workplace Experience Study, DWXS, and a co-founder at Lithos Partners. Prior to that, she was head of digital communications at Standard Chartered Bank. And Dan McMillan is the chief financial officer at DWG. Why a CFO on the pod? Because Dan is a key non-financial voice on DWG as a living system. Priya talked about customer obsession at Intuit and the the whole follow me home concept from their their co-founder, Scott Cook, who sounds amazing. Um, what, Sharon, do you think of that approach when it's applied to the, the world of work? I was really excited to hear this because it's something we don't do enough in the digital workplace space is really to get a sense of... Um, people's real needs but also their context so doing that level of user research we often do things like we'll dig into analytics but they can only tell you so much can't they they can only tell you how people use the tools that you've given them 
and they don't, they don't tell a full picture there. Actually, it's only when you go and see people in the context of their work, you can understand how those tools are. And also, really importantly, all the ways they don't use them. You know, so we've all been to people's workplaces and you see post-it notes all over the place of things. Those are things people can't find. They're unmet user needs. Um, or things that are printed off and left on, on tables. You know, I never can find that policy. I'll print it, keep it there. So you never know if someone's using an out-of-date version. Um, and when I go and work with organisations, I love to get out there and do user research for people who are, you know, out on the road or, um, you know, in a call centre. Because you can really get a sense of the time pressure they're under, the context in which they're working, how they go and look for things. And it's invaluable in how we, we design our digital workplace. We really don't do enough of it as an, as an industry. Um, so it's really great to hear her say that, applying those, that kind of customer centricity to, to the digital workplace is something we ought to do a lot more of. Yeah, yeah. I think that's so so true. And um, we we also, Dan, talked about the new campus headquarter building, which I was fortunate to be able to see before it's opened, um, not inside, but just from the outside. And it was designed by, I think, a, a, a very progressive company, which Intuit is. For, for, I, for, I guess, this period of post-pandemic working, collaboration, agility, team-based working. Dan, what do you think of this idea of team-based working neighborhoods and it, and is this is this the post-pandemic formula I, th- I think it's actually really really important um and i think actually i think the sort of pandemic has obviously speeded these sort of transitions into this shared workspace up um i know tech companies pre-pandemic were already looking at these ideas of, of more creating spaces that, that are thought-provoking creative areas where people can come and share but I think post-pandemic, it's really important to get people back together in some form at some point in time. Um, and I know personally from going to shared workspaces, sort of not frequently, but enough that that contact is really important for development and relationship building. Um, and this Priya's description of what this space is going to be like at Intuit is, is really exciting. Um, and I think anything you can do as a business to encourage your employees to want to spend more time together uh, is really, really important. Mm. And Sharon, have you seen this happening amongst your clients, this this idea of neighbourhoods and really putting more of a focus on the team co-located physically? Absolutely. I, mean, I, I think like you, we work with lots of kind of larger, more complex organisations and it might have been distributed well before the pandemic, you know, just geographically across different parts of, of the world. But it's actually creating places that people want to go to because you, can, you can't force people to go in. You know, all your best people would, frankly, just get better jobs elsewhere in more flexible workplaces. It's about creating places people want to go to and encourage that kind of collaboration so that it is valuable for people. The people are making people slip into the office just to sit on the phone and do more Teams calls. Actually, it's about how do we create the spaces we'll get together. And um, I mean, I've seen it among my clients, but we've also seen it, there's some really headline ones in the news. If you think about uh, Bloomberg's new HQ was really designed around making it a place people want to visit and ultimately don't want to leave. Um, but also the, the recently announced HSBC move. So they're moving in what, 2024, 2025 from their very corporate uh, HQ in, in Canary Wharf to a much smaller one in, in central London, um, which will have that kind of neighbourhood concept and also bringing things like sustainability to, to the, uh, the party to make it much more of a place that people want to visit and it enables that kind of group working in a way that, so that it isn't just a series of Zoom calls in a different place. Yeah, no, I think it's a great thing to see. And I, I love what they what Priya talked about with data to nudge behavior. I mean, she mentioned, you know, quite simple things like 
employees being reminded about easily about the amount of time they've got off. And I, I really like the fact that managers are reminded about people who report to them and how much time they've taken or not taken off. Um, I mean, Sharon, what's your take on this idea of nudge behavior as a way of, of influencing kind of better ways of working? Or is it a little bit, I don't know, a little bit manipulative or? Theory is all well and good in practice, but it's, it's absolutely a fine line between um, monitoring and surveillance. You know, actually, we have a huge amount of data on employees. You can, you know, as I understand it, often your workplace knows you're, you you have a serious illness before you do because they can see drops in productivity. And that's actually a conversation we need to have. We need to be much more open about what's being collected on each of us as individuals and how we might be able to use it as managers. But, you know, Microsoft had that conversation recently about to what extent do we give managers at an individual level uh, data about their teams. So while it can be useful, we need to bear in mind that, you know, there was a, there's a balance there to be had around privacy and we need to have a, a mature conversation as organizations about what is being, uh, what we have, what we share and how we use it. And that a lot of people, we don't have high levels of data literacy. So we have huge amounts of data on people, HR data, on the way that we use our tools. We don't necessarily have the ability to use it in mature ways. And that's something that needs to change, I think, in terms of yeah. giving people safety, but also understanding how it might be misused and thinking about some of the ethical questions that raises. I think it's also key to to make employees aware of what data and what data is being used for. Um, I think your comments about the sort of the the secrecy or the, the, the spying on employees using that data is quite important because it can be very off-putting. There seems to be a lot of data there and often the, the information or the, the matrix and outcomes of that data are not available, yet there's there's huge amounts of data to be used. Yeah, I mean, as ever, we always, you know, in our minds, we've got this focus on those of us who are, you know, maybe more senior in more, you know, um, desk knowledge-based work. But actually, it's it's further down the chain. It's people who have less agency over uh, over their work, who are monitored in much more restrictive ways. And I do think, you know, actually, we need to have a, a clear conversation with people and be open about what is being collected on them and how we use it. Yeah, and I think this is where kind of policy principles kind of ethical standards for organizations that are explicit about. I think the problem, if you were going to tell employees how much data they've got, you'd kind of, it would be a very long and increasingly long list and quite scary. But if you actually, you've got some ethical principles, and I think Intuit is a company that does, that. that's a good way to approach it. I mean, one of the things, Dan, that Priya talked about was she said, I love this, that the bar is set very high for leadership, which I think means to get into a leadership role, you really need to be good at at certain things. And this idea that you can't achieve alone, I think that's such a great approach. Um, I mean, what's your response to that approach to to leadership? I, I, th- I think it's, it's a very positive sort of way of looking at it. I think it's sort of, it, it could be quite humbling to sort of appreciate that you can't, do and drive things forward on your own and you're reliant on the teams around you whether that's sideways upwards downwards wherever the team may be and it's this collaborative approach to 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 goals and achieving um i think to be a good leader you need to have a good team working with you not necessarily for you or against you but as as a collaborative approach um and i think listening to priya and intuit they they they're very forward thinking on that and it sounds like scott the the founder is 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 a sounds quite humble if i had to say 
Um, and the only thing I would say is the follow me home obviously has some negative connotations that employees are being spied on, but the concept is brilliant. Going back to your customers to actually work out how they use your products and from that innovate, change, modify, improve is brilliant. And there's no reason you can't pull that through to your employee experience. Sharon, do you think leadership's changing in this way? This more collaborative approach, this this more humble approach on my is that just sort of optimistic, hopeful thinking on my part? I think it depends. I think we're seeing much more of it, but a recognition that I guess collaboration requires psychological safety. So that's creating spaces where people feel it's okay to ask for help. You know, it's okay to say I don't know everything or I might need some an extra pair of hands on this. Um and Digital as well as physical environments are, are a way that we can signal that and do that more effectively. So it's about, you know, as Priya talked about, creating places that, that foster that collaboration. But in the digital space, we can do the same as well. It's actually not just about creating physical spaces where we or digital space where we can work together, but creating that level of psychological safety. So modeling those behaviors, when leaders ask for help themselves, it becomes, it creates permission for others to do the same. So I'm starting to see a lot more of that, actually. It's about being humble, being, um, being open to asking for help and signaling that it's okay for others to do the same. Um, and the digital workplace is one of it, the best ways that we can do that. It makes it very visible, making our work visible and therefore kind of encouraging that level of collaboration. So a short answer then is uh, I'm seeing a lot more of it, but not universally. And it really does depend often on the um, the individual leader. So some people are just better at this than others. Yeah. So, so Dan, any other final reflections on what struck you from the conversation or or things that you you picked up about Priya from from my exchange with her? I think it's it it's it very exciting listening to to Priya and, and all the sort of developments that Intu are, are putting in. I think one of my sort of not concerns but questions would be the measurement around the success of some of those things and this collaborative or this new work space, as I'm going to call it. It'd be very interesting if they're going to put in matrix to actually measure the success, whether that be productivity or creativity or or sustainability or anything else that that workspace is supposed to draw on and, and whether they're sort of looking to review the progress of that space. Because mm. um, it's very, it, it's all well and good having lots of data and lots of new innovation, but if you're not going to, in effect, benchmark it or ma- use matrix to actually compare that, to your existing models, uh, it's very difficult to sort of put a level of success onto it, I think. Mm. And um, Sharon, um, any final comments based on the interview and or just things you picked up? So I, I think just the, from the overall picture of it, it was really um, encouraging to hear, you know, an organisation talking about the, the employee experience in the round. So not just about physical space or digital space, but actually the entire experience and how all these things tied together. So you know, towards the end of the interview, she was talking about um, how they're rationalizing their content. So it's easier for people to get you know, using the data they have to make more relevant to people, which is about respecting people's time, but also recognizing what's important and, and useful for them. And actually how we wrap those layers together between the digital and physical spaces so we people feel you know, that they're getting what they need. They have the tools they need to do their job and they need to get on with the things they'd rather be doing. So I hope we see a lot more of that. It's really encouraging to hear. Yeah, I think she's a real pioneer. There's something about Priya which I can't quite put my finger on. I sort of knew when she was at Prudential Financial on the East Coast of the US and now she's on the West Coast. 
she's got a kind of combination of sort of strategy and depth and practicality. There's something I just really enjoy about the way she approaches things. Um, Dan, Sharon, thank you so much for your comments and great to have you in the studio as our pundits for today. Here are my three seeds to plant in your organisation based on the conversation with Priya and our guest today. Seed number one, leadership in work today demands high standards and the best leaders know you cannot achieve alone. Isn't that a fantastic way of thinking about leadership? It's not a solo activity. It's a collaborative activity. You're only as good as the people you work with. Seed number two. New hybrid workplaces are based on teams working together in neighbourhoods. Again, it's not about solo working. Collaboration, physically coming together, being co-located and forming communities and neighbourhoods. And seed number three, observe what people actually do, not what they say. Then you can design experiences that help people work at an optimum level. You can call it UX, user design. The important thing is to watch what people actually do and solve the things that are causing them problems. Do subscribe and like right here so you get alerted to each new episode. And I look forward to seeing you next time.